Hi friends, welcome back to Sacred Space. I am very excited about this episode. We're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about worship. And as a worship leader, there's so much that uh, burns in me about what worship is and what it does and the significance of it, especially in our relationship, in that sacred space, in that holy ground connection between us and God. And so as you grow, as you lean into and nurture that relationship, I want you to maybe rethink and rediscover what the role of worship plays. And again, I'm not talking just about singing, although singing has a very profound, there's something powerful and profound and miraculous about us lifting our voices to God. And as a worship leader, certainly that's a place that that happens uniquely. But it's not just that, but we are going to focus a little bit on that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be with melody. It's about our heart posture. It's about proclaiming who he is. And we're going to talk about worship as warfare and what that looks like and what that means. Worship is an interesting thing that um, really, just even in the course of my life as a believer has morphed. You know, I, I got saved in the early 80s. And through the 90s, especially, worship itself became huge. And and some would argue that people began to worship worship, you know, the worship movement and new music came and it was really powerful and really life-giving, but it also kind of created that just like in the church with celebrity pastors, kind of celebrity worship, you know, this, this, this kind of following the worship culture, as it were, that doesn't mean the movement was bad by any stretch. It just means as people, we tend to want to elevate certain things. And it's so, um, just as a side note, as we grow in our intimacy with him, we just want to constantly check ourselves and not move into that place where we allow what we do for God usurp the role and the place and the seat that he should be in. And that can happen. Our service, our worship, our study, our pastors are whatever, all of those things can become idols. And the very thing that we think we're doing for the Lord kind of replaces him. This isn't what I want to focus everything on today, but I do think it's important to shed light on this so that we don't, in our zealousness and excitement over something, distort the purpose and the power and God's heart for us. So we are talking about what is the purpose of worship in the context of warfare and how do we appropriate the gift of worship in our lives personally um, and then in the lives of our family and the ministries that we're a part of. Worship is not, we are not, God doesn't need our worship. He's not an insecure egomaniac who demands our attention and our affection. We worship because of who he is. And worship, oddly enough, in many ways is for us. You know, Psalm 51 
16, David says, you know, you do not require sacrifice or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It's not about the act of worship. If it was just about worship, then then God would have accepted um, Saul's worship, would have accepted even Cain's offering. But it's about our hearts. It's about positioning ourselves. It's about dependence. And what does worship do? It reorients us. It moves us past focusing on ourselves or focusing on circumstance or focusing on the things that maybe are apparent in the natural. And it realigns ourselves on Him. It allows us to acknowledge who God is, where He's seated, His character. It reminds us of those things. It's a reminder that He is good, the magnitude of His love for us. It pulls us back to, oh, you are good, you do love me. And then it it brings us to a posture of dependence. And through all of that, then it roots us in confidence in who we are and who He is and allows us to stand and be and do the things that He's called us to with Him with complete freedom and authority. And I think this is something that we lose sight of, that we forget, that we tend to overlook. And so when we face difficulty, when we face challenging things in our life, and life is challenging, things are difficult, we do come against opposition, spiritual opposition, uh, things that war against us. And that can even come from our own flesh and our own hearts. And so worship is a powerful, significant tool because when we come into God's presence, we start looking at Him, we declare who He is, we start singing songs of thankfulness, we start declaring His goodness, especially when we're not feeling those things. It moves and shifts us back to where we belong and shifts him back to where he belongs in our hearts and our minds. What does your worship look like? Like, Take a moment and ask yourself that question. Is worship reserved for Sunday mornings when you're with a group of people and there's a band on stage or a guy with a guitar on stage and you sing then? And what does it look like even when you do that? And I'm not talking about any weird expectation of pressure of what the outward expression of your worship is. You know, as a worship leader, I've led in a very broad range of contexts from super conservative environments to very charismatic environments, places where raising your hands was a big deal to places where there's dancing and flags and all manner of crazy from very conservative liturgical environments to living rooms, retreats, and places where worship goes for an hour and or more and is spontaneous to places where it's very structured and there's three songs. But regardless, it's not about the expression. It doesn't, it's not about this is more holy than this, or this is more than this. No, 
There's power for God's people when they worship him and when they orient themselves to him, whether it's a culturally super free environment, or maybe a more conservative environment, it's not necessarily more powerful in either place. I've seen miraculous things happen in hearts and minds of God's people in the context of them surrendering themselves and worshiping. So there's something super powerful that happens corporately when we worship as a people. But there's also something critical that happens personally when we worship as an individual son or an individual daughter in the privacy of our home or our car, when we close the curtains and we fall on our faces before him, maybe you dance, maybe you sing, maybe you yell, maybe you cry, whatever it is, but you pour yourself out in worship and posture yourself spiritually. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. We position ourselves and we draw a line in the sand for the enemy because what happens when we worship is finally we get to that place and we go, no, 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 this is who we are. This is who he is. The God of the universe is in control. I am his and you don't have any right. So we are challenging the enemy And at that point, he has to back down because he knows what his authority is. The problem is most of us as Christians don't or we forget. And so we get tossed to and fro by the enemy, by the wind, by circumstance. But when we worship, then we're reorienting ourselves and reminding ourselves, no, this is who we are. This is who God is. You don't have a right to do this. Get behind me, Satan. It's David going out in the field and saying, who dares defy the armies of the living God? There was an audacity. There was this brash, who do you think you are about this kid who all of these generals, all of these seasoned battle-worn veterans and all of their strategies were paralyzed by this giant and by these armies. But this child had the audacity and the boldness to go out and say, who do you think you are? Because the living God is on the throne and we are the armies of the living God. And how dare you defy him? It wasn't David's skill of that slingshot. It was his confidence in his, and that God was in his rightful place in his heart and his mind. That's what defeated the enemy. And so when we worship, that pulls us to that place of just almost arrogant boldness because we know who our dad is. So one of the most powerful scriptures in the context of this is Second Chronicles 20. And it is really my favorite I'm going to get my Bible out because I'm going to read it. So I would really encourage you to take time in these, in this chapter specifically, regularly as a believer in your life with Jesus. It's significant. It's powerful. It's a profound demonstration of the power of worship. If you've studied the Old Testament for any length of time, there's such a pattern of the worshipers, the musicians going out before the armies, singing and proclaiming who God is before the battles and before a sword is drawn, they're declaring who he is. So there's no 
No question that worship is powerful. So 2 Chronicles 20. Essentially, Judah is surrounded by their enemies. Surprise, surprise. It looks hopeless. And Jehoshaphat, who's the king at the time, goes to the Lord and says, what do we do? I'm scared. He's fearful. And in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord falls on Jezehiel, who's a prophet. And through Jezehiel, the Lord says, do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. And he tells them to go down against them. And in verse 17 says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I love this because then at this point, Jehoshaphat and all of Judah, they bow their faces to the ground and they worship God. And then Jehoshaphat does something interesting in verse 20. He gathers the people, he encourages them and basically tells them to believe in the Lord and you'll be established, believe in his prophets and you will prosper. And then when he consults with the people, it says in verse 21, and he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of of his holiness. And as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah and their enemies were defeated. God didn't tell them to go out and stand and worship. God told him to march out against the army. But Jehoshaphat, in his wisdom and his understanding of his God, his battle strategy wasn't to flank on the left and attack him with arrows over here and attack him with surprise over here. His strategy was to go out, worship the Lord, praise the beauty of his holiness, stand still and allow God to be God. moment is when God defeats the enemies. There's something so profound about worship. And I want every one of you that's listening, as a believer, to start engaging to start leaning in, to start examining your life of worship. What does it look like? When do you worship? Is it just on Sunday mornings? How do you worship? How often do you worship? And I'm not talking about religious ritual. I am talking about relational engagement with the God who created us. I'm talking about that holy place of interaction between us and Him, about obedience and surrender and receiving and abandoning all that we hold on to for the sake of Him, because when we do that, 
our perspective and everything changes. And when we do that, we won't have to fight. We won't have to strive. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And so when we engage in the flesh is when we get worn out. When we strive in our own strength is when we get defeated. But when we center ourselves on him, we lock eyes with him. We set our affection and our attention on him and we put him in his rightful place, then everything else falls into place. Then the enemy is defeated, then the weight is lifted and we're living in freedom and victory. Remember, we talked about David and his boldness and his tenacity as a child to have this crazy faith to defy the giant and the Philistines. And yet David, when he grew up, after he had defeated thousands and tens of thousands and had all these victory, this man after God's own heart, he found himself in a place where his maturity and his wisdom and his own strength became his downfall. God forbid that we would be too mature for our own good, that we would rely on our own strength, on our own works. So I want to encourage you, maybe even challenge you this week to intentionally worship in a way that you never have before. Maybe you've never worshiped alone apart from Sunday morning at church. Maybe you've never sung by yourself in your living room with the curtains closed and danced or gotten on your face or your knees or just proclaimed scripture that declare his goodness, that you just recite psalms, you recite Worship, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And don't forget his benefits that you would start, that you would do something more than what you've done. And as you do, believe and trust that God is going to show up, that he is going to show himself strong on your behalf, that you are going to see movement in the spirit and that you are going to grow in your confidence and your faith and your identity as a son and as a daughter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Space. If you would like more information about the podcast or Stockton Ministries, you can visit us at GinaStockton.com or in the sacredspace.com. You can subscribe to this podcast, and it would be absolutely amazing if you would rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you so much for joining us. Also, I would love it if you reached out and just let us know the things that maybe God was speaking to you through our time together and any thoughts you have about our podcast and ideas that you have for future episodes. 